and welcome to Once More with Feelings, a podcast where we discuss the wicked and the divine and our feelings about it. I'm Christina. And I'm Kate. And today we are talking about issue 17. Which is Sakmet's backstory. The Sakmet special. Oh, this special. This special, and this artist in particular, the pages are not especially dense, I don't think. Like, the panels tend to be a little bit bigger. Yeah. In this case, because this entire arc has been guest artists, this issue is drawn by Brandon Graham, Mm -hmm. who, like, no offense to Brandon Graham, but I don't vibe with his style too much. I get that. Like, I like his style. I don't know if I like his style for Wictive. Yeah, it feels jarring considering the style that we're used to for the comic. Yeah, it just doesn't feel quite like what I think about with Sockmet. Yeah, I feel like it's just a little cartoony, especially for the subject matter of this issue. Before we get into this one, I think maybe we should go over the legend of Sockmet before we hit it, because it actually is pretty heavy in her story. I think that's a good idea. There's a lot of like direct references to the actual story of Sockmet. So do you want to kick us off with that? Sure, I should have pulled up the Wikipedia page, but I'm going to talk from memory. Pew pew. Do it, you coward. (laughs) So Sakhmet is an Egyptian god, and Sakhmet was created by the gods because they saw humans were getting too cocky, and so they decided to give them a monster. The problem was this monster was way too good at their job. Basically, yeah. Yeah, it was a giant lioness, and they named it Sakhmet, and she ate everything, and everyone and everyone was terrified of her and the gods were like oh shit we did our job too good they were like these humans they're getting too big for their bridges we need to put them in their place let's release a giant destructive war lioness onto the planet to destroy them so they did and Sakmet did and they're like oh she's killing literally all of them this was a mistake <laughs> yep and so they tried i think a few times to wrangle her and it didn't work um until finally they decided to You know what she really likes is drinking blood. Let's make some beer look like blood and then she'll fall asleep and we can totally call her. And that's what they did. And that's how they brought in Sockmet. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's how they controlled her, basically. Yeah. So she is shown a few different ways in Egyptian mythology, including as just a lion or as a woman with a lioness head. And that is the story of Sockmet. There's a lot more. This is Cliff Notes. Yeah, that's the trimmed down abbreviated story of Sakmet. Mm-hmm. And it directly parallels the Sakmet of our story. There's not a lot of license that's taken. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I need to go and check out the Myths and Legends podcast and see if they did a Sakmet story, because that would be cool. I don't think they have, because I've listened to it and I don't remember them talking about that, but there's a lot of stories on that podcast, so. There is. I need to go through. It's possible that I just don't remember. I just like the way he tells the legends. So to start out, we're in the British Museum of London, where they have lots of stolen shit. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, my politics are getting in here. They need to repatriate so many things. Okay, you're crying, and it's someone in a school uniform telling another little girl in a school uniform who responds to her as, fuck off, I'm not crying. And the other friend says, whatever. You said they're in like an Egyptian exhibit, it's specifically in front of a statue of a woman seated with a lioness head, mm-hmm. presumably Sakmet. And I got the impression immediately that this little girl who is being accused of crying is the future Sakmet. I think her real name is Ruth. Yes, they mentioned that a little bit later, but the two of them are clearly school children on a field trip to this museum. The other girl looks up at the statue and remarks that it looks sad. Mm-hmm. And Ruth, future Sakmet, 
basically shuts her down, being like, don't be stupid. Statues can't feel things. Yep. Things that are stone don't feel anything. Yeah. And we zoom in onto her face. Her eyes are red-lined, and she looks upset but angry. Mm-hmm. Like, she's staring up. There's a great parallel between the statue. We get a, a panel of just the statue's face and then a panel of Ruth's face superimposed with each other. Yeah. Or not superimposed, but one right after another. And you can sort of guess at the parallels that are being drawn and where this is going. Yeah, it's interesting that all of them had a little bit of a tie to their previous gods somewhere. We didn't see it directly with Marion, but everyone else, yeah. Well, I mean, which is why I feel like, again, anyone can become a god and you just turn into whatever god, you know, you have an affinity for. Yeah. But we're going to flash forward to the lost cat on the 13th of January, 2010. So this is like four years before the main story, or that was when that happened, at least. Yeah, I think that's when that happened, because we're about to flash forward to a lot of naked. Well, yeah, we're going to go to the present, but this conversation in the museum happens four years before yes. our main story. So she's probably about, what, 14 in this? Probably, yeah. Maybe a little older. I mean, she looks really young. Yeah. I also looked really young at 15, so anywhere between those ages. That's fair. And then we go to Valhalla in London, and we see... What looks like the remains of an orgy. They're responsible. There's condoms. There are condoms. It's true. And someone says, morning, Sockmet, to which her response is, is it? And just all over the room, I don't know why there's a panda head, but there's like the remains of what was definitely a sexy orgy party. There's booze. There's condoms. There's a lot of naked people in different states. Somebody's in like a sailor uniform. There's a person with a motorcycle helmet in the background. Like, did you see that one? Oh, my God. Oh, there's also somebody with Sailor Moon buns. There's a lot happening in this image. It's a very dense picture. There's people wearing panda slippers. Somebody's dressed up in, like, what looks like a luchador outfit. Yep. Almost. There's people of every color and creed strewn over every available surface littered with condom wrappers and booze bottles. And there's a lot happening in this image. It's a hot mess. They're in like a very Egyptian themed room. Right. Which makes me feel like this is Sakmet's room, obviously. Yeah. Which makes sense. She then responds that she didn't want to wake up early, to which the Valkyrie who awoke her is just kind of like, it's 1130. So like, it's not really early. Yep. And responds that Ball is expecting Sakmet at noon, to which Sakmet responds that, oh, well, if we have half an hour, and it's implied that she is beckoning over this Valkyrie to join in the debauchery, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yeah, she half-heartedly puts a robe on to cover the nakedness, but... Barely. Barely. And she's just seducing her. And then we go to probably a little over half an hour later. Sakmet is eating chips while Ball is what looks like training against Woden's, like, maybe training robots, with Minnie and Woden both looking on. Uh, and Sakmet's nickname today is, hey, fat cat. Yep. At least pretend to give a fuck. And Sakmet is being every inch a cat and is just like, I'm bored. I don't like this. <laughs> and Ball kind of just gives her like, we need to train. There's a bunch of awful shit coming. We need to get ready for it. And Sakmet just kind of gives him this. It switches to a panel where we just see her eyes do kind of that side glance. It's literally a side eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next second, the robot that Ball was tussling with is destroyed. Yep. And then the next second after that, Ball himself is knocked to the floor. Mm -hmm. And 
Sekhmet is like perched on top of him. Basically, she says, you need practice. I don't. She is a goddess of war. That's basically like all she does. She doesn't need to practice for this. Yeah. Like we said before, the main problem that was with Sakmet was she was too good at killing everything. She was too good at murder. Yep. So we have Minnie and Woden looking on and Minnie says, she scares me, which is fair. And Woden says, yeah, good. But then he goes on and reveals that Sakmet's performing tonight. She has a performance this evening and he asks if she's ready. And Sakmet just responds with, wake me up when it's time to be perfect. Okay, so this is me being real nerdy, but I took Japanese in high school and I still retain some memory of the alphabet. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure those are Japanese letters on her tank top and it says Ranma one half, which is reference to an anime. There's a lot of anime references in this. There's a lot of anime references baked into this specific issue. Because like you said, there was a girl with Sailor Moon buns yeah. lying in the background of the image. There's a bunch of kanji that is littered throughout this comic, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure they're still supposed to be in London. Yeah, she's eating a Japanese snack. She's eating a Japanese snack. Her shirt says Ranma one half, apparently. Yep. And it's very small. Like, it's not a big nerd shirt. It's just like a very small note. No, there's a lot of like references to Japan and Japanese media stuck throughout this there's like a lot of easter eggs yeah hidden in this issue i think that the artist like slipped some of that in there for fun yeah which is fair and so we go to a next page where i guess for funsies you could go through the crowd and try to find all of the anime references i already found a thundercat reference <laughs> but we go to Sakmet's concert and it looks like Sanskrit writing or some other kind of writing just going across the page. Yeah, I was trying to decipher what it said, but it's kind of like if it is in Sanskrit, it's too stylized for me because I'm not a native reader of it. Yeah. It's too stylized for me to make heads or tails. That or it might even just say I'm Sakmet in a really stylized English. It's made to look as fanciful as possible. It barely looks like words, but it just looks like words enough to make me think that it's saying something. Yep. And we see Sakmet on the stage and there's two like jawbones of a cat hovering over her. Okay, I guess that symbol is technically Sakmet symbol, but it looks a lot like a Thundercat logo. Oh, the t-shirt you were thinking. Yeah, no, it's a Sakmet. Yeah. There's even a dude who I think has her face tattooed on his arm in the foreground. Yeah, he does. That's a good choice. And there's a bunch of like cats just playing and yelling in the crowd like these Technicolor, clearly magic cats. They're very psychedelic. This actually reminds me a lot of a Miyazaki thing. Like, I don't know if it's Totoro or something, but it reminds me kind of a Miyazaki. There's that one real big fat cat on the upper level. Yeah. I love that one. This is a fun page. Just like if you have the time to go through and look, find all the cats, look in the crowd, see what you can see in the crowd. Because there's just a lot here. And on the next page is Sakmet kind of wrapping up and mm, it's so difficult to be adored. She is every inch, like, just going for that cat aesthetic. Yeah. There's an interesting thing. There's a cut, a small panel that's another close-up to her eye. This happens frequently, close-ups to Sakmet's eyes. Mm-hmm. And this is often used as a transition. But in this particular panel, there is either, like, a bead of sweat or a tear or something on her cheek. Yeah. I'm not sure how to interpret that, because if it's a bead of sweat, then maybe it's just she's sweating because it's her performance. She just finished her extraneous performance. If it's a tear, does that mean that there is some, like, deeper emotional thing happening with her? Like, 
I don't know. It could mean a lot of different things. I'd also really like to get a better view of her outfit here because it looks real interesting from the back, but we only get a little piece of it. I think it's the same as her outfit on the cover, though, isn't it? Oh, it might be. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, you're right. It is. So you get a little bit more detail. Her outfit on the cover is the same one she wears throughout the issue. But then we cut to after the concert, she's doing an interview in some sort of like green room, some backstage room. With more Japanese writing over the door. Again, I don't know what it says, but there's more Japanese writing. I don't either. If somebody out there knows Japanese and can tell us what that says, feel free. Ooh, I have a friend at support group who is actually kind of fluent in Japanese. I'll try to ask her. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Do it. So we have, again, Sakmet being interviewed. And the interviewer is basically needling her about her past life. He's referring to her life before she was a god. But Sakmet is not really playing along. She at first is talking about like, oh, I killed an Assyrian king in single combat. And he's like, no, 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 not like the lore, the legend of Sakmet. He wants to know about her, the person she was before all this. Mm-hmm. And he says, all we've got is a lot of dark fog of rumors. And Sakmet is just completely ignoring it. She keeps pulling away, like, where's my drink? I need my drink, Cat Butler. She refers to the Valkyrie as Cat Butler. <laughs> Like, this Valkyrie is definitely assigned as a handler, and we'll see why later. Yes. But basically, Sakmet presents her philosophy is that she doesn't care about her past. She doesn't care about the future. All she really cares about is right now and what she is feeling right now. Yep. It's all pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so implication the past was none of your business. Like, she is just shutting it down. Yeah. The most persistent rumors about your homelessness... And she is annoyed by it. And she's like, I'd say, fuck off. I'm no one's misery porn. Like, she doesn't want to be pitied. She doesn't want people to see that past. She doesn't want people to feel so bad and then so good for her because she's a god now when she used to be homeless. Like, no. She literally doesn't care about her past. Like, I'm here for your enjoyment now. You're getting what I give you, which is pleasure. This should be enough. Yeah. And she is getting upset that there's no drink, which I think means she's starting to sober up. Yeah. I am Sakmet. I am war and sex and death. I feel nothing. Where is my drink? It's like she says she feels nothing, but it's very obvious she is getting angry. Yeah. Which I think for Sakmet, that's a pretty average emotion, especially if she is not high or drunk. Yeah. And that is, of course, a problem, as we know from the myth of Sakmet, that when Sakmet is not drunk then she is dangerous yep and she makes choices yeah so the valkyrie comes back saying i'm sorry they've lost your writer like no one was preparing you a drink i can go and she interrupts the valkyrie just being like forget it i'll go do it and she storms out of the room which is a mistake she walks out of the room we don't know exactly where she is maybe it's a hotel maybe it's the back green room it looks sort of like a green room area in the stadium yeah and she passes a window an open window or not an open window but she passes a window and looks out over the city at night and gets an idea yep so she snaps her fingers and the window's open and she leaps from the window somebody on the street sees her but you get like this just silhouette against the moon And then she lands on a rooftop and she looks over and once again we get the close-up of the eyes and then her closing her eyes and thinking. So she's sober and she's making a decision right now. I don't know if she's making a choice so much. I mean, it's hard to say. 
these are the clearest we've seen her eyes in a long time, I think. Like, I don't know what it is about this drawing in particular and how they drew it, but it seems the most like she is aware of her surroundings and her power and what she could do if she wanted to do it. You think this is her being a little bit more clear? Yeah. This is a, a largely non-verbal comic, this issue. There's a lot in this comic that's left unsaid. There is a lot that's implied. There's a lot that you just sort of have to assume. Mm -hmm. And with Sockman especially, it's hard to do that because the motions she does have, she keeps close to the chest. Like oftentimes she says she doesn't feel anything, but sometimes you have to wonder at that. Like, does she actually feel nothing? Because at times it seems like she does. And that makes it difficult to judge. I think her feeling nothing is when she is either high as fuck or drunk as fuck. Possibly. And I think that's what she wants. I think she prefers that to being fully aware of everything going around and all of her pain. Because fuck it, I'm dead in two years. Why not feel nothing but six and pleasure and being drunk? Like, why not? Yeah. And then after this, she starts thinking about death, I think. Well, we can only make guesses at what explicitly she's thinking, but it cuts to a different time of night, a different place. She's sitting atop a different rooftop in the suburbs, looking over to a house. And there's it's just a house with a light on the second story. She's just perched there staring at it. And her phone goes off. It's been sat next to her. And it's Air, the Valkyrie, who's assigned to be your handler, mm -hmm. who has realized that Sekhmet is gone and kind of is like, I'm going to have to tell on Ananki. Like, I'm going to tell on you. You have to get back. And this is like the best bit of visual humor. I love it. Yeah, it's literally just like if you've ever seen a cat just bat something off a table, Sekhmet just bats her phone off the roof of the house. Yeah, it's like those videos where you see the cat's person tell them like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And they just kind of stare at them and then boop, <laughs> and it's off the table. Off the table. And then we see Sakmet in the top panel of the next page, just kind of staring down. Once again, there's something about it where she looks more thoughtful or more clear there. I don't know. To me, if you look at the previous page where we get close-ups of her eyes, her eyes are red, but otherwise normal. But in this panel here, it looks like her pupils are slitted. Oh, yeah, you're right. That might be what makes it look like that. I feel like this is like her activating god powers or whatever. Yep. And then we go back to a flashback to a possibly poor part of town. There's a lot of graffiti. It looks like there's an Indian restaurant over there. And we have Ananke sitting at a bus stop with Ruth, dog people and cat people. Dogs are insecure, desperately needy, and will do anything to make you love them. And cats, Ruth replies, cats don't give a fuck. Dogs are how we truly are and cats are how we wish we were. Which would you rather be, Ruth? And Ruth looks to be drinking something out of a brown paper bag. Because there was a reference earlier in the comic to homelessness. Somebody drinking a bottle out of a brown paper bag is kind of a shorthand, like visual shorthand allusion to homelessness. Also to alcohol. Yeah. I mean, alcoholism. Yeah. And then we flash back forward to the house where all the lights look to be off. And then Sakmet almost smiling. Like her eyes are closed and it looks like she's smiling to me. This seems to me like she's made a decision. Mm -hmm. Like before she was kind of maybe broody, stoic. She was clearly watching this place. And she remembers this conversation she had with Ananki once upon a time. And the choice that she was asked that one time, which would you rather be, a cat or a dog? And it seems to me like she's remembering the choice she made. Because clearly she is a cat now. <laughs> she's Sakmet now. 
Yep. She chose to be a cat person. She chose not to care. Real hard into that cat aesthetic. Yeah. And so this is like, she is not necessarily resigned. What's the good word of resigned? Accepting. She's remembering back this choice she made and like, ah, that's right. I don't have to feel anything. I can do whatever I want. I'm a god. I am sex and war and death. And then it cuts to an entire page of blackness. Hey there, Kieran. How are you today? Good to know you still like the black. Take a drink for our drinking game. Take a sip. Oh, God, no. Once we get to later issues, they'll die. That's the drinking game. Remember, every time there's a full page of blackness, take a drink. Oh, Lord. It then cuts to, again, a close-up of Sekhmet's eyes. We can't see her pupils. We don't know how she's feeling, but it's in the dark. And someone's calling her name. And it cuts to two Valkyries and Woden entering what appears to be a ransacked room. Like, there's stuff strewn about all over the floors. Yep. The only light is coming from the Valkyries' weapons and from Woden's, like, chest thing. His arc reactor or whatever he's got. <laughs> they look sort of panicked. They look ready for a fight. And Woden's saying, where is he? What have you done with him? And then it cuts back to a close-up of Sekhmet, who we can now clearly see has blood smeared across her face. Yeah, you can see there's something on her face at the top panel, but now it's more obvious. Now it's very clearly that it's blood. And she says, everyone says he was a bad dad. Wrong. He was delicious. And there's not even a body left, but there's a lot of blood. Yeah. And Sakma's costume is like half torn off her. And she is licking her hand like she is a cat. And she is on the balls of her feet. And everything is completely broken. As Sakmet continues to clean her hand, Woden turns to Ear, who's her handler, is like, this is your fault. You don't leave Sakmet alone, especially not when she's fucking sober. So yeah. Yeah. Sober Sakmet. And there's that one Valkyrie just staying in the background like she doesn't know what to do with the situation. Yeah. She's like, oh, shit. Also, I feel like the person who came up in the Egyptian myth who came up with the idea of dyeing the beer red was possibly another wisdom god. I could be wrong. Possibly. I don't remember. Yeah. So we have Sokmet is just completely unbothered by all of the commotion happening around her with Woden yelling at the Valkyries. And she's just cleaning herself. And then she decides it's time to go. And she's covered in blood. She starts walking towards the window and Woden notices and says, hey, no, you need to go back to Valhalla and says, I get that you're angry because it's implied that this is she says, like everyone said he was a bad dad. It's implied this is her father's house. Yeah, like, it's implied she just ate her father. She just ate her father. Yep. Like, whole. Like, no bones left, nothing but blood. Body is completely gone. Yeah. And there's a lot that you have to question about Sakmet and her relationship with her father from this idea that she ate him. And then Woden even says, I know you're angry, implying that he thinks she did this out of anger towards her father. It also sounds like she was possibly homeless for a large amount of time. She was angry for a large amount of time. Her father was probably a pretty deadbeat dad. It looks like because he's in a house, he got his shit together and she's probably pissed about that. Well, that's sort of what I'm questioning. Is that the story? Or because we do get a flashback to her as a child, her in middle school or high school, something like that. And she was crying in the middle of a field trip in a museum. Mm -hmm. She seemed angry and crying. And that's not something that a well-adjusted kid does. Like, field trips are the best part because you don't have to be at school. Yeah. And a well-adjusted kid doesn't cry alone in a museum for no good reason. 
it seems to me at least like it's possible that her dad was abusive or yeah if not physically at least maybe emotionally abusive mm-hmm. and maybe her homelessness is less to do with the fact that he wasn't providing for her and more her trying to get away from him that is also a possibility because again nobody just randomly starts drinking and dissolves into alcoholism like it's implied Sekhmet did, Ruth did, without having something that they're trying to cope with, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's leaving out the window. Woden says, I know you're angry. She says, I don't get angry. Not anymore. I don't feel anything bad anymore. This is another question I have. Is this now a choice or is it true? Because clearly she seemed to be angry earlier. Yeah. But she's not now. Maybe she chooses not to feel anything now. I think it's a choice. I think it's also what she wants to project. Yeah. And she says that she just wanted to eat some people. Yep. So she's going to go eat some people is what's implied. Yeah. I just want to eat some people. Like tonight, she's sober. She just wants to eat some people. And Woden's like, sure. Okay. Why not? But don't you want to drink first? Holding up a red bottle. Yep. Which he hands over to Sokmet, which she eagerly takes and starts drinking. Yep. And we even see, like, the way it looks like is she still has blood on her chin and the way the alcohol is flowing into the blood as she drinks it in that last panel. It's just very symbolic. Yeah. And then cut to the next page and Sakamut's back in Valhalla with a lot of cats. It makes me wonder, did she adopt them? Do they just spawn around here? Like, I think they might just find her. They find her, yeah. Yeah. And she's in a room that looks very much like a Woden room. Are you really guarding Mistress Morgan? A little advice, passing out will make you a poor sentry. So we're in Morgan's cage room. Yes. So which second was like, that's work. I don't work. I like watching you. You're a pretty bird in a cage. Very much like leaning into the cat thing of just a cat watching a bird. Yep. Says the house cat who will never be free. To which Sackman is like, silly bird, I'm free. Free of all cares. And she falls asleep. And Morgan is like, poor Sackmet, we all have prisons, but at least I can see mine clearly. Yeah. So Morgan sees, like, they have you on a leash made of alcohol, sex, and drugs. They have you on a leash of feeling good, because the second that you're, like, left your own devices, they are controlling her, clearly. Like, the other gods, Woden especially, is controlling Sakmet. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're controlling her for the benefit of others, because when she's let loose to her own devices, she just kills people. Yeah. But she doesn't really have a lot of autonomy. Yeah. She's not really allowed to do what she wants. And after this declaration, talking about how we all have prisons, we all have bars, the Morgan's crouched in her prison, staring at Sokmet and says, and I know how I will shatter them. Yep. She has figured out a way that she is going to escape this place, possibly with Baphomet's help from the previous issue. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the page we end on. The Inevitable Cliffhanger, the 9th of September, 2014. And we're at Highsbury in Islington, London. Looks like some kind of pub. Oh, this. And we're back to Jamie's style. Yes. We're back to the regular Wictive art style. Book a place? Sure. Private party or gig? Great. How about the 23rd? Okay, and you are... Oh, you're not the only artist trading as that, you know? Hope you got good lawyers. I'll put you down as UK. If you don't hit minimum spend, you'll have to pay... And it's just a guy booking an artist. And at the end, we see September 23rd, Persephone UK live. No support. Right. I remember reading this and getting all in a tizzy like, what? Excuse me, what? What? We thought we saw Persephone die. 
Yep. We saw Persephone be born. We saw Laura turn into Persephone. She was born and then get immediately murdered is what we thought we saw. And so now we see this guy booking an artist under the name Persephone. It says live, no support. It's just going to be her. Yep. And I remember being like just freaking out over that idea. <laughs> yeah. Wicked was one of those things where occasionally when I read the comic, I want to throw the comic across the room. Mm hmm. And this was one of those pages. I was very excited. This is a very good cliffhanger end of the arc because this is the end of the arc. Yep. It's such an intense cliffhanger. We have a, uh uh-huh, slight return, 9th of September, 2014. Yep. And I like that we're leaving on that cliffhanger because the day that this podcast comes out will be issue number 40, which from, I know two people who have read it, one of which is pressed and the other of which is she- has ways. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's going to be a doozy. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a lot. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, Corey, my friend who she writes, so she gets to read the press issues, text me, oh, fuck you, Kieran and Jamie. So it's going to be one of those. And we will be discussing that one next week. Yes. Yes, we will have read it by then. Hopefully you will have read it also by then and we'll be ready to discuss it and to feel a lot of things. Yep. So for those of you trade waiters, if you want to jump in on getting the comics for this last arc so you can keep up with us, that would be possibly a good choice, especially since then you won't be spoiled by the ending that will happen before the trade comes out. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, we got a tweet. So this is response to us talking about how Morgan said, I'll have this boy be my king for a year twice over. And this is from at Purple Terrain. I think it's a spoof on Purple Rain. Re-King for a year. I think it's a reference to this. And he links the Wikipedia article about sacred kings, which the idea was kings could possibly be sacrificed to gods either after a year of rain or during a time of famine. The idea, of course, being that was like the ultimate like sacrifice you could give to a god, like this really high important sacrifice. Yep. Which means Morgan is explicitly contemplating Cameron as a quasi-sacrifice. His death isn't beside the point, but part of the point. I responded, oh, sweet lord, it's getting revenge and getting him back and having someone to worship her all in one move. Because, yeah. It has to have been something that she factored in because she knows about the death sentence already because it was told to her when she became a god. Yeah. And her asking for Cameron to be brought into that same world she has to do so with the knowledge that he also would then die. Yeah. Which is why I said when she's in the window saying, like, let's fall, she's literally inviting him to die with her. Freaking, they're entering into essentially like a suicide pact. Yes, which, I mean, two emo goth kids, like, let's play into that trope, right? Yeah. And Purple Train responded with, we should all finally bite the bullet and read Graves the White Goddess before the last arc, but it's so long. I agree. It's so long and it's supposed to be so dry. And let's be real, I'm probably not going to do it. If I could find it on audiobook, I would listen to it because I don't have time to actually like sit and read, but I drive a lot. So if I could get it on audiobook, I'd 100% listen. Oh, that LA traffic. Yeah. So if anybody could like point us to a good audiobook of it, we might listen to it that way. I'll see if Audible's got something. Yeah. Yeah. I also should probably use my library card and look. But yeah, so that was the tweet. Also, I'm sorry about that Twitter poll. Honestly, Christina are probably going to do this podcast no matter what you guys think. So we're probably going to talk about die no matter what you all think. You make it sound like the majority of listeners are like, no, don't do it. It's not a big deal. 
I mean, we had one vote. When Die starts coming out, which I believe also is next week, the first issue. Yeah. So we'll probably do an issue of Wictiv. We'll keep that going. And then we'll do an issue of Die. And then we'll get back into the regular Wictiv schedule. Yeah. We can start sort of spacing it out a little bit, peppering it in. Obviously, it'll probably be another thing, Die, at least where it's a monthly release. Yeah. So in between issues of Die, we can continue with Wictiv up until we catch up with the comic. Yeah, most image books usually have a 10 issue per year kind of thing going on. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, but that will be next week where we will start the final arc of Wicked and Divine. Hopefully all of our questions will start actually getting answered. Oh boy, final arc. Final arc. Mm -hmm. Final arc. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kate's having a heart attack. So while I go take her to the hospital, (laughs) you... Feel free to interact with us. Send us your email. Send us your tweets. You can find us at... Kate, do you want to give us our contact info? Sure. Our Twitter is at FeelingsCast. And then our email is once more with feelings plural, podcast at gmail.com. And my recommendation for this week, let's do something light. I don't know if I recommended it before, but Goldie Vance by Hope Larson, Brittany Williams, and Sarah Stern. If you like... Nancy Drew, and you like really cute drawings, this one's the book for you. It also feels very 60s, and yeah, I recommend it. It's awesome. It has a few volumes. Something lighter than cannibalism. Yeah. Something with ideally no cannibalism. I have not experienced cannibalism yet in Goldie Vance. I'm pretty sure it's an all-ages book, so I think they'll stay away from it. Perfect. There is Soviet spies, though. Well, all right. A twist. Yep. Well, thank you for that recommendation, Kate. We will have more for you next time, listeners, so make sure to tune in. Yep. See y'all next time. Bye, Christina. Bye, Kate.